Amen. Our scripture lesson today comes from Paul's letter back to Galatia, a church that he had started years before. Let's share in God's good word together. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as children. And because you are children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a child. And if a child, then also an heir through God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Can you feel it? As things begin to change, anxiety builds. Everyone can feel it. It's just a little off. It's not like it used to be. Tense. And there's a growing sense of this descent and the chaos. The world is no longer like it used to be. And because people can't see where it's going, they don't know where the chaos is leading. They tend to regress to familiar but not so helpful behaviors. You know those behaviors blaming, scapegoating, ghosting bullying, lying, numbing. Now, these behaviors are meant to address the anxiety, but they don't. They don't. They don't ever address the underlying issue. And what's that issue? And we know it all too well. It's fear. Fear. And it's a particular type of fear these days that we find in Galatians chapter 4. You see, Paul was deeply concerned, deeply concerned about what was going on there. Because there was a group of Christians that rolled into town. And they had the audacity to say to the other Christians that were there. That they weren't doing it right. You ever had that happen in your life? You do what you grew up, you know you're doing the thing, you've been doing the thing, you may be doing it for like 40 years, and then somebody says, nope, that will no longer do. Not only that, if they didn't do what they said they should do in the way they said they should do it, there would be big trouble. Right here in River City. So what do you do? Now, okay, OU, OSU football is coming, right? A couple weeks, woo-woo! I love it when our state splits right in half. It's great. So, but for those of you who go to games, I love going to games. I love all of it, except one thing. You know what I don't love about it? Parking. All right? It's terrible. So imagine with me, you know, a couple Saturdays, you go to the game, and you find the free parking. Oh, it's awesome. Yes. I'm so cheap. I'm going to park eight miles away and walk it. And so it's free. And you pull in. You get out. You lock the car. You got all your stuff. You got your stuff. You got the kids. You got the whole thing. You're going. And then there's this guy. He's a little shady. And he says, hey, it's 20 bucks. It's 20 bucks or I'll tow you. What do you do? Do you gamble? Or do you give him a 20 so you can have peace of mind? Have a good rest of your day. What do you do? But what if it's not just about a parking space? 
What if it's actually about your eternal salvation forever? That's what's at stake. Now, right now, who is in your head telling you what you have to do or who you have to stay away from to be okay with Jesus? Does that sound like good news to you? It is not. That's not good news. That is taking the good news and putting it down to something else that is no longer good news. Not for everybody. It's not. We're going to need to talk about that today. Very seriously. So you may have noticed some of our staff or some of our youth group. Um, last year we got these uh, shirts called Jesus Plus Nothing. We say that with me? Jesus Plus Nothing. That's the deal. Jesus Plus Nothing. And so we're in this sermon series. We're in week four. Brandon's been doing an amazing job teeing this up, getting us ready. And, and scholars, I want you to think about this. These six chapters, there's only six chapters, six-week series, one, two, three, four, five, six. And these six chapters change the entire world. By making Christianity a world religion instead of a Jewish sect. You and I would not be here today if it weren't for this text. We'd be doing something else maybe. But not this. So and they had this question. It's a very real question. It's an important question. And that is that must outsiders become insiders before they can be Christians? You know, that's what Gentile means. Outsider. That's all it means. So... How about you? What, what is it in your life where some people have to do some things to get in your circle or else they're out of your circle? Hmm. Now, Dr. Elaine Heath, she's an interesting scholar. She was the former dean of Duke Divinity School. Super sharp. Uh, she's one of the texts that we're using for this series, one of many. She writes these words. She says, you can replace the words the Gentiles with today's outsiders. Everyone who is not us, the unchurched, the agnostics, of course, spiritual but not religious, fundamentalists, got to watch out for them, and for some people, the LGBTQ community, the divorced, the ones who've had an abortion. Galatians took an entirely different tone than all that. Now, fortunately for us, we don't deal with any of that anymore. It was just back then. And so what has happened is that Paul has given them the good news, the free salvation of Christ. And these rival missionaries had come right behind him a number of years later, and they'd infiltrated the church in Galatia, announcing that in addition to, oh, that's the problem, in addition to having faith in Jesus Christ, a Christian was obligated to keep the Mosaic law, all of it. And in particular, circumcision, which all the suburban men in the room go, we're not talking about that, are we? It's a very uncomfortable discussion, right? So here, here's the thing. Paul writes back to insist on the contrary. No, you don't have to do that. That we are saved only by the faithful act of Jesus. It is the faith of Jesus, by the way, not your faith in Jesus that gets you there. It's Jesus' act. That's why the cross is the way it is and not a picture of you and your great faith. Right? You all do get this, right? That it's about the cross and not you. So only by the faithful act of Jesus and not by performance of good works, ritual observance, or giving to the building project. Okay, I, last, I added the last one. But, but you get it, right? I mean, people think that if you do certain things, you're in. You've earned it. You've done enough. You taught the third graders, boys, right? And you think you've done it. Paul says, no, 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 no. It's, it's, it's not about the deed. It's about the relationship with Jesus. 
about the relationship with Almighty God who loved you enough to come to you, which was unheard of. No other God did that. Other gods punished you and sent storms and earthquakes and terrible things. They, they didn't really care about humans. They just used them for sport and fun. But not Jesus, not our God, not the God of the Israelites. God came to them in the person of Jesus so that we would all know forwards and backwards of his great love and mercy and compassion. So our goal as Christians is not about some certain act or deed. Our goal is easy obedience and walking with Jesus. Doing what he says to do. Living our life as he lived it. Being with the people he was with. Caring for the poor. Easy obedience. Not gritting your teeth. Oh man, I had to go to church one more time so I can stay in God's good graces. None of that. And, and so you see, and you know this, if you're a parent, you know this. The test or character of the child is what they do and who they are when the parents are away. It's not when the parents are right on top of them. And, and you know this. You, you've all had that moment. This is true for dads and moms as well. You know, when everybody's gone. Kids are at school. Spouse is at work. You have the place to yourself. That is who you really are. Whoever that is. That's who you are, right? That's your character. That's the test. And that's what Christ wants. People who want to love him, not who have to love him. That have a relationship with him. They can't think anything better to do with their life than to walk with him and talk with him and serve with him and bless the world and bring heaven to earth. It's the most beautiful thing you could ever do with your life in this life and the next. So Paul writes, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That means he's the boss. Everything he says goes Lord of Lords, King of Kings. Lord Jesus Christ. Who gave himself for our sins. This is completely different, right? God now giving himself for us. Not the other way around. To set us free. Well, set us free from what? From the present evil age. There is actual evil and danger in the world then and now. According to the will of God of our Father. So what did Jesus come to do? He came to give himself to free us from real evil, and danger. This is great news, friends. You can now say no to things that you could not say no to before. And you can say yes to do things unimaginable to you previously because of the power of Christ. Now, Paul is a great example of this. And he says, imitate me. He, he says it very clearly. He says, look, I was a violent man. I was terrible. I was the worst of the worst, he says. And not only that, I was the smartest of the smarts. I advance beyond others in knowledge and zeal for tradition. Right? He's at the stoning of Stephen. He goes out and drags people back to Jerusalem so they can be tried and killed. This is who Saul and Paul was. And, and he writes about it. He says, you have heard, no doubt, my earlier life in Judaism, I was violently persecuting the church of God and was trying to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many among my people the same age, for I was far more zealous. The same word where you get zealots, you know, the people who are trying to overthrow governments. Yep, that's him. For the traditions of my ancestors. That must be super important. Now, before you think that we are not people of tradition, we are. We take it very seriously. Why well, we do communion, why we have the Apostles' Creed, why we have the cross. Tradition's important. But... There's a big difference between tradition and traditionalism. Jerusalem Pelican puts it very well, I think. He says, tradition is the living faith of the dead. And this is beautiful. 
right? When we gather at Christmas and we have candlelight services and we sing the hymns, we sing the songs, we pray the prayers that are ancient for thousands of years before us, this is fantastic. Traditionalism, on the other hand, is the dead faith of the living. And that is absolutely of the devil. Tear churches apart. I've actually seen a 60-year-old woman make a 9-year-old girl cry because she didn't light the candles right in church. The kingdom has no place for that, friends. No place for that. That's traditionalism. They cared more about what other people thought about the way they were doing it than about what Jesus thought about their heart. And you'll notice that Peter, Paul neither rejects nor disrespects his tradition. No, no, it's important to him. He's given his whole life for it, actually, as a Pharisee, part of the Sanhedrin. Yet, when Jesus comes to him and blinds him on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, he now sees it. All of this before, that his whole life was for, is now just this tiny part of his faith. Right? It's a small, important part of Jesus' plan to save the world for all time. Is tradition good? Sure it is, but it's not enough. The source of our salvation is Jesus' faithfulness, not ours, on the cross. Not anything humans do. Now, for some of you, you're super uncomfortable right now because that's not what you've been told. You've been told something differently about an age of accountability or if you can say this or you can do that or this thing, that's what is... Nope, nope, nope. It's Jesus plus nothing, friends. It really is. It really is. Now, you say, well, hold on a minute. That doesn't sound right. Why am I at church? Well, maybe because you love him. Because your heart's been changed. Because your life has changed. Because he's changed everything for you. That would be a good reason to celebrate him and worship him. Right? Worship is to prostrate yourself down before someone. Because you understand their power and glory and goodness. The reason we know this is true is because, not just because of Paul. But because of the gospel. The gospel of Luke. We come to Luke 23. Then the thief on the cross says... Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You'll notice that there would be actually two other crosses up there, right? Not just the one. There are two thieves. We don't know much about them other than they deserve death. Right? This is a big deal. You don't get you know, the death penalty for littering. This is a big deal up there. So he replied, truly I tell you, Jesus does, today you will be with me in paradise. That's it. This guy, did, what, is, what do we know about this guy? Did he Sunday school? No. Was he? Oh, he had to have been baptized. Nope. Well, he had to really have done something good in his life. No. Which, by the way, gives you a tiny glimpse of hope when your terrible uncle dies. I always go to that scripture. Because <laughs> you don't know anything good about him. But we do know that Jesus is good, don't we? And he's enough. He's enough. Now, our founder, John Wesley, would say, this is absolutely true. If, however, the thief on the cross were to get down off the cross, given time and opportunity, good works must necessarily follow. Right? Or otherwise, it's just a sham. Right? He's just trying to get out of trouble. If you really love someone, you do what they do. You love what they love. You love who they love. And Dallas Willard would remind us that you and I, each and every one of us, we are unceasing spiritual beings with an eternal destiny in God's great universe. The question is, will it be related to Jesus and his compassion and his mercy and his grace and his worship? 
or we'll be away from community, alone in darkness. Make no mistake, we're all living forever. I'm going to live forever. Disco songs happen when I preach sometimes, right? So here's the thing. You and I are going to live forever, and there's nothing you can do about it. And Jesus, the salvation thing is about our relationship with him, both now and forever, forwards and backwards. Came for all people, all places, all times, all races, all of it, for all people. But the problem is, the continual problem is, not just then but now, is that we confuse good news for all, which is what the gospel's for, to mean good news for some. And actually, good news for us. That's the problem. And it happens today. You see it all the time. No, 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 no. Not them. Not them. Nope, not them. So, so Paul writes in Galatians 1, he says, not that there is another gospel. Nope, there's not. There's one for all. But there are some who are confusing you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. They're not, they're not telling you the truth. They're telling you something else in addition to the truth. Well, you might ask yourself, well, who does this? Who would do that? Take the greatest news the world has ever known. That God himself would come and all time is changed by it. And you're going to add to it? Who would do that? Well, of course Pharisees would. They wanted them to do what they did. So their life would be easier. The Sadducees wanted them to do it. To do the temple rituals the way they did it. The Zealots wanted them to be in their political side. You know, they have to be in their political party to, do, to overthrow the Romans. There's politicians today. And I left this one blank because you won't like it. That's parents. Don't you? I've actually had parents tell me that they told their child that if they didn't eat their peas, Pastor Mark would be mad at them. <laughs> no, I'm not mad at you. I love you. I love your parents. I love you. Don't do that to me. Don't do that to Jesus. People are like, God's watching. That is not the God we serve. Of course, God's watching, but it's because he can't take his eyes off you. Because he loves you. Because he created you in the very image of himself. Come on, parents. Talk to myself here, right? And why, why do people do this then? Well, it's about power and control, isn't it? Because we're afraid. Because we're afraid of what might happen if we stay connected to people who don't do what we tell them to do. As if we're God. Right? Isn't that why you get away from people? Because they don't do what you want them to do. And what's going to happen if I actually stay connected? Right? To weird Alice. Or whatever, you know, pick your, pick your person. Don't you try to separate yourself from the weirdos? So you figure out you're the weirdo? Right? We're afraid. We're afraid. So, so Paul makes it very clear that God shows no partiality. Say that with me. It's super important. God shows no partiality. None. Zero. That's it. And from those who were supposed to be acknowledged, leaders, right? What they actually were makes no difference to me, Paul says. God shows, again, no partiality in the scripture right there. And by the way, this is one of the earliest documents written in the Bible, 49 CE, 50 CE, right? Basically the exact same time as the Jerusalem Council, which is interesting to think about it. Now, N.T. Wright, who is a very great scholar, I love his work, he says this, there can be no outer circle and inner circle with the grace of God. There's one circle. There's no in and out. One. And if you've ever been a part of this church, if you've ever been a part of the leadership team, 
if you've ever been to an ad council meeting, a finance meeting, or any other kind of meeting, how many circles do we have when we gather? One. And what happens if somebody comes and visits our meeting and tries to sit behind us? What do we do? What do we tell them? Come on. One circle. One circle. We're one people. God's people. Now, some people didn't like this, and Paul knew this was an uphill climb. So he gets others involved. He goes to Peter and James and John and Barnabas and to recognize God's real action through Paul and he encourages him to remember the poor. That's what they say. Like, Paul, I mean, there's no doubt that God's working through you, but man, he could have picked somebody better when you're wearing us out with your back and your history and your background and all that. But so if you really, if you really want to be where God is, work with the poor. And by the way, today, if you're trying to make a decision between religious groups, look who's with the poor because that's where Jesus is. Always. Right? He's having arguments with the high and mighty. He's blessing, serving, healing, caring for, giving sight to the blind and the poor. So the scripture says in Galatians 2, And when James and Cephas, Peter, another name for him, John, who were acknowledged pillars, recognized the grace that had been given to me. Paul's like, yeah, they see it. They gave it to Barnabas and me, the right hand of fellowship. Like, go on in our name. It's okay. Go, go, go. Agreeing that we should go to the outsiders, the Gentiles, and to the circumcised, the Jews. They asked only one thing, that we remember the poor, Paul says, which was what I actually was eager to do. Because his heart was right with God. Because that's what Jesus does. We have to remember that all the time. So when we're talking about this grace that comes into Paul's life that the other leaders of the church could see, what are, they, what are they talking about? Well, when I was young, I learned it like this. God's riches at Christ's expense, and that is exactly right. Nothing you can do to earn it. It is Jesus plus nothing. It's God's riches at Christ's expense, not ours. But it's more than that. This is justification over here. But there's also a sanctification piece over here, which is it's also God's real action continuously everywhere. We burn it like holy fuel. Dallas Willard would say, uh, like a 747 takes on takeoff, because you're now doing things that are impossible in a human, impossible in the natural, so you need to get some super on your natural, so it's supernatural. You're actually moving out in God's kingdom. This church is here, you're sitting here because of the supernatural, not because I'm a really good mason, right? Other things happened that I had no control of to buy the land, to build the buildings, to do the things to have you here today, well beyond my capacity as the founding pastor, right? You have to have grace in your life to do what God's calling you to do. So Paul says, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if justification came through the law, then Christ died for nothing. I mean, that's a, that's a big statement. Like, if you could do it by the law, then why would God come and have himself killed? That's ridiculous. So when he talks about justification, he's talking about righteousness or rightness or salvation, it comes through the relationship with our loving Lord, not through our actions. Michael Slaughter boils it down really good. He's, he's super good at this. He says, life in God is received, not achieved. You say that with me? Life in God is received, not achieved. That's the good news of God. So in Galatians 3, Paul carries on the argument. He says, now before faith came, before Jesus, we were imprisoned and guarded under the law until faith, until Jesus would be revealed. Therefore, the law was our disciplinarian. You can substitute babysitter. That's really what that means. The law babysat us, took care of us, made sure we were okay, until what? Christ came. So that we might be justified by faith, by Christ's faith. And it is, it is a very difficult translation where some Bibles translate it faith in Christ, others translate it faith of Christ. Most scholars will tell you faith of Christ is a much stronger, better 
more reasonable translation given their, what they know about um, the Greek and the Bible and all the rest. So it is the faith of Christ, right? So what about the law? What do we do with the law? The tradition. Is it important? Yes, of course it's important. Just like a babysitter is important. Absolutely important. See, the law was our babysitter until Christ came. It took care of us. Because before Christ, no one had the power to say yes to the things God needed them to do. And they did not have the power to say no to the things that would destroy them and others. That's why Christ had to come. That's why God had to start the world over with Noah. Because they didn't have the power to do it. So until Jesus, Galatians says, Paul writes, humanity was unable to choose what was right without the law. We did not have the power to do it. We just couldn't do it. But now, Paul says, but now everything's different. But now that faith has come, that Jesus has come, we are, oh, oh my gosh. Okay, so you got to know this. When you read the Bible and it says something one time or just like maybe twice, you don't, you don't really need to worry about it. It's a big book. However, if you find it said again and again and again, particularly in a row, it's super important and you're not supposed to miss it. So I would like for you to count the no longers with me when we get here, right? So, but now faith has come. We are no longer, what is that? One, subject to a disciplinarian babysitter. For in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God. We're now children through faith. As many of you were as baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is no longer Jew or Greek. That's a huge deal. Were Jews and Greeks alike? No, not even close, right? Believe different things. One God, multiple gods. Mythology, remember that from junior high? There is no longer slave or free. Is there a big difference there? Oh, by the way, that's three, isn't it? Yeah, no longer. There is no longer male and female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. Four times in a row. Yeah, the law used to be important. Yes, it used to have a very important role. It no longer does. Because Jesus has come. And if you have a relationship with him, you follow him, period, dot. Not the law. Now, much of the time, the law and Jesus are going to line up. Right? Because God, the Father, and Son are one. But if you have to choose, you choose love. You choose Jesus. Because that's the Savior of the world, not the law. The law only carried Jesus to protect him and care for him until he could come, which it did. It played its role. It's a very good thing. And we need to honor that. But it's not Jesus. It doesn't have the power to save you. Paul's very clear about that. It only leads to death because you cannot do it. Not in your strength. You cannot. So Dr. Henry Cloud, who I think is very smart when it comes to relationships, he says, just as we accept the good and bad in ourselves, we need to accept them in others. And that's really hard because you and I both know that we will do things and we know exactly why we do them and because and, we were tired or we were cranky or somebody else deserved it and we get it. But when somebody else does the exact same thing we did, they are out. Because we don't know what they know. Jesus does. So Paul writes now to Galatians 4. My point is this, in case you've missed it. Heirs, friends, heirs, as long as they are minors, are no better than slaves. Though they are owners of all the property. Yeah, it's coming to them. It's not theirs yet. But they remain under guardians and trustees until the date set by the Father to send Jesus. So with us, while we were minors, right, we were enslaved to the elemental spirits of the world. We did not have the power to do anything about it. Now, you may not have grown up with like a father like I did. My father was both, is both beautiful and terrifying. And growing up, he would say this to me, John Mark, what's mine is mine and what's yours is mine. At least till you're 18 or 21. 
And I say, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm going to mow five lawns today, and I'm going to make 100 bucks, and that is mine. He goes, no, 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 thanks for making me money, son. That is mine. Legally, that is mine. I said, well, no, no, what if I go, and I'm, and I'm a lifeguard, and I make my own money, and I, I get money from the city, and it's addressed to me. That's great. More money for me. You're dependent on my taxes. That's mine. And he was right. That's the law. I was an heir. And he didn't take it. But he would say this. I'd say, Dad, can I borrow your um, you know, sleeping bag to go camping with my friends? No, that's mine. And then he'd say, can I borrow that? I'd say, well, yeah, it's yours. Right? Because that's how it is. So Paul writes, when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son Jesus, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law. So that we might have adoption as children. No longer slaves. No longer on the outs. And because you are children, God has sent the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Acts 2 Spirit of which we're named, into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. That's about relationship, right? Because I could call my dad, Daddy, this afternoon, not, not because it's a childish uh, relationship, but because that's my relationship with him, right? It's about the relationship, not about the title. So you are no longer a slave, but a child of God. And if a child, then also an heir through God. We are to be stewards of God's world from Genesis forward. So what does it mean to be a child of God and the heir of the kingdom? Well, it is to be an heir. It is to be responsible, able to respond by the power of Christ in you, which is why we use the word responsible, right? We're able to respond. Well, how do we do this? I mean, because this is a very scary thing if you think about it. You mean to tell me that you're going to trust people to just listen to Jesus and do what he tells you? Uh-huh. But there's a way to do it in community, not individually, but in community, yes. We'll talk about that next week. It's learning from the family of God. How to care for one another and the world. That's what church is to do. For the very redemption of the world. The transformation of the world. So there's a question then. What will we do, you and me, with the freedom God has given us? Because you now have it in Christ. If you accept him as Lord and Savior, you now have that power in your life. And Paul writes, Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? And for some in the room, that's exactly what happened this morning. You are mad as a hornet at me because I told you the truth of the gospel. Because that's not what you learned growing up. But it is the truth. I'm not your enemy. I love you. I love everybody. They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to exclude you. Why would they do that? So that you may make much of them. So you can lift them up. So they can be better than. And here, we want to get better, but never better than. Never better than. Because we have one circle. So we have a question with the freedom God's given you, every single one of us. It's a really important question. Are you going to be a gatekeeper or a lock picker? Choice is yours. You can use the power that God has given you to keep people out or to set them free. To set them free. To have the life that he came to give them on the cross. To not take anything away from that. To actually have a world of joy and beauty and wonder. And you say, whoa, 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 whoa. well, what if I'm right? Yeah, you'll be right sometimes. Sure you will. Sure you will. But here's the thing about this. When offense slides into judgment, it's easy to become what we despise. So even when we're right sometimes, even if the judgment is correct, the fact that we think we have the right to do the judging puts us in a terrible position to become the very things we hate. And you know that's true because you've done it. Because that's what humanity does. We hope nobody finds out. So friends, really, when it comes to your salvation, it is Jesus plus what? Nothing. Nothing. 
It's not Jesus plus confirmation. It's not Jesus plus baptism, even, given the thief on the cross. It's not Jesus plus tithing, although I wish that were true. That would be easy. I would love that. We do lots lots of stuff. But it's not. We do all of that out of an overflow of love because of what Jesus has first done for us. It is Jesus plus nothing. And anyone who tells you different wants something from you. It helps them, not you. Make no mistake. When somebody says it's more than Jesus, you have to do this to be in our club, that's about them. It's not for your good. It's for their good. Because they get to make the rules. Now, you might say, aren't you overreacting a little bit here, Pastor Mark? Do you know who the Galatians were? Galatians were the people of Gaul. They were the people that spoke Gaelic. They were the Celts, the people who would later become Celtic Christians. These are people who would slick their hair back with lime, put a gold choker around their neck, and nothing else, and war on people all over Europe. They were the aboriginal Europeans. They were tribal, they moved around, and they killed people, and they did human sacrifice. And if they did wear something other than their golden collar, which was rare, it was a belt. You know what the belt had on it? A dagger and the heads of the people they'd killed before. Because they believed the soul was in the mind. And so they'd slit their throat and take their head and carry it around to let you know, that's who I am. You want to mess with me? And so a lot of times Galatians didn't even have to fight. Because when they saw them coming with, you know, eight heads on a spear and another eight around their waist and a dagger, you know what the people did? They left. Because they were naked with dead heads on them. It's Conan stuff. That's who the Galatians were. And Paul says, well, how do we make them a part of the church? I mean, do you think you got problems with somebody who thinks a little differently about something? Galatians. Wackadoo people. Scary people. I, I, I recommend it to you. I just found this out this, in, in the study. I was like, really? Yeah, really. Timothy Joyce, a Catholic priest and Benedictine monk and American Christian. Amazing guy. We read all about it. So here's your action step. And these are hard. They're hard for me. Confess the ways that you separate yourself from other Christians in order to protect your reputation. And friends, the last few years, that's been hard for me. Because there's some Christians out there doing some crazy stuff. It doesn't look like anything like I believe. But if I slip into that thing of judging them, I'm in a deep and dangerous place. My job is to love them. Even if I don't understand it. Even if I think they're dead wrong. Confess the ways you separate yourself from other Christians in order to protect your reputation. Ask God to give you a warm heart and a genuine concern, genuine concern, not faking it, toward believers who are different from you. And if you follow Methodist circles, this is really important right now because there's lots of people that believe differently. But we are to have genuine concern and warm hearts and love our brothers and sisters in Christ, wherever they are on the spectrum of their belief systems. And... Ask God to forgive you when you have supported an inner circle that kept others out. Because that is the opposite of the gospel. It is the exact wrong thing to do and is the exact opposite of what Jesus came to do. You are working against him when you do that. And we need to be on our knees asking for forgiveness about that one. And that's why every person that walks on this property for all time, as long as I'm the pastor here, will be welcomed as a child of God and Christ himself. I don't choose who comes here. God does. And when God brings them, we will welcome them. Amen?
It's what we do. It's what we do. And it can be really hard sometimes. But that's what we did. Because that's what Jesus did. Now, let's pray the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.